Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, first day of the year, first Sunday of the year, first sermon of the year. Are you ready? Let's start with prayer. Father God, we give this day to you. We proclaim that this day belongs to you. It's the first day of the week. We give this year to you, Lord God. This is your year. Give us your will for our life for this year. And God, we declare that this place, this space, this piece of ground, it belongs to the Lord Jesus. It is for his purposes. It is for his pleasure. And right now, Lord Jesus, we invite your presence. Amen. The principle of first is this, that we give first fruits to God. This is the first Sunday of the year. The Sunday is in the Bible called the first day of the week. So we're going to give ourselves as first fruits. We're going to give our year as first fruits. We're going to give our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our longings, our budgets, our schedules. We're going to give it all to God. And we're going to have God first, God last, God with us, God in it, God through it. It's going to be a great, 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 great year for you, and we're going to teach you today how to kick everything off, including this day and this year, in prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is supernatural. Prayer is extraordinary, and prayer is the divine right of every child of God. You need to know that there are two realities, my friend, and there are two realms. There is the physical world that you see. There is the spiritual world that you do not see. There is the natural that we live in. There is the supernatural that God lives in. And when we do things like open the word of God, we are inviting that supernatural realm into the natural. We're inviting God into our life and our legacy. When we worship, we are inviting God and his angelic presence and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit into our midst in life. And when we pray, we are punching from the natural into the supernatural. We are taking hold of the one who has taken hold of us and we are welcoming him into the life that he has entrusted to us. Prayer is supernatural. Prayer is extraordinary. Prayer is a connecting point between the world that you see and the world that you do not see. Today we start a three-week series called Spirit-Filled Jesus. That was last year. This is Pray Like Jesus. I'm so excited. I forget what I'm talking about, and it's going to happen again, all right? Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. We are going to study Jesus' longest prayer in the whole Bible. It is in John chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, go there. It's going to take us three weeks to examine Jesus' prayer. In this sermon, Jesus prays for himself. Do you need to pray for yourself? Oh, yes. If you don't have prayer requests, you're not paying attention to your own life. Amen? We've all got needs. I've heard some people say, I feel bad telling God what I need. Don't. He knows you need it. You're not gonna shock him, amen? God's not in heaven going, I had no idea that's what was going on. God knows, God wants to hear. Next week, we'll look at Jesus praying for Christians. And then the last week of the series, we'll look at Jesus praying for non-Christians. Here's the big idea. Jesus prayed for everybody, so can we, amen? And when we pray, when we pray, something is happening supernatural. Something is happening in the spiritual. And I know some of you know nothing about prayer. That's okay, we love you, we're glad to have you. Some of you know a little bit about prayer. You've got a bit of a prayer life. Some of you, you're mature saints and you do have a vibrant prayer life. We all start somewhere and wherever you start, that's okay. I still remember growing up, I was raised Catholic, nothing negative against Catholicism, but all I learned to pray were wrote, memorized prayers of dead saints. I didn't know you could pray conversationally and personally. I become a Christian in college. I go to my first Bible study. I sit in the group with all the other college kids and the group leader says, hey, Mark, since you're new, why don't you lead us in prayer? Because I don't know how to. That's why I'm here. I don't know how to do this. It was an awkward moment. He pivoted, prayed. And what I told him was, why don't you guys pray? I'll listen, then I'll learn how to pray. Here's how it works. Children learn how to speak by hearing others talk. The children of God learn how to pray by hearing others talk to God, amen? So if you don't know how to pray, that's okay. You can hear others pray, and as you hear them pray, just like a child learns to talk, you'll learn to pray. So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna hear Jesus pray. We're gonna listen to Jesus Christ, God on the earth, 
praying. Couple of things before we jump in. Um, this is called by some the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. Some would argue that this is hallowed, sacred ground to hear the Lord Jesus pray. It's only recorded in John's gospel. So if John had not recorded it, we would not be aware of it. Uh, furthermore, some very significant Christian leaders in the history of the world have turned to this prayer for encouragement and hope. There's a great Scottish reformer. His name was uh, John Knox. He was a pastor and a preacher. As he was in his dying days, he would have people brought to him and he would just ask them, read me John 17. So for the final days of his life every day, he wanted to hear Jesus' prayer. In addition, there was a great German pastor and reformer named Martin Luther regarding this section. He says, and I quote, this is truly beyond measure, a warm and hearty prayer. He opens, Jesus does, the depths of his heart, both in reference to us and to his father, and he pours them all out. It sounds so honest. So simple, so deep, so rich, so wide, no one can fathom it. Couple of things about prayer. Number one, if Jesus needed to pray, we all need to pray, amen? We all, if Jesus needed to pray, we all need to pray. Number two, if Jesus didn't feel bad asking for his needs, you should not feel bad asking for your needs. What do you need from God this year? What are you requesting of God for this year? In addition, prayer is how we build our relationship with God and others. The shortest distance between people is prayer. Here, Jesus is talking to the Father, building the relationship. He's allowing us to eavesdrop in to build relationship with him and with the Father. The man who records this prayer, his name is John. He is called the one whom Jesus loved. He was Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. Why did Jesus and John have such a loving, healthy, hopeful relationship because they prayed for each other and they prayed with each other. If you wanna have a great year, it starts in prayer. If you wanna have a great relationship with God, it starts in prayer. If you wanna have a great relationship with others, it starts in prayer. If you wanna improve your marriage, pray for your spouse, pray with your spouse. You wanna improve your relationship with your children, pray for your children, pray with your children. You want to improve your relationship with family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers, pray for them and take opportunities to pray with them. In prayer, we're inviting God into the midst of the relationship. Jesus does this in his relationship with the Father. He does this openly, publicly, presently to give us an example of how prayer, relationship with God, enables, empowers, encourages all other relationships. I am so excited for you. God is good. God has a year planned for you. I don't know what steps he has positioned for you to take, but I know that in prayer, you can discover God's will for your life. You can have this life be purposeful, meaningful, valuable. You can have this year be a year that is consecrated to the Lord, is glorious to the Lord and is satisfying to you. And it all starts and ends, it all falls and rises with prayer. So we're gonna read Jesus' prayer, amen? We're gonna read it all together. Here it is, just the first few five verses. We'll read the first third and then we'll unpack it very, very slowly. If you're new and first time, it's gonna be a while. I hope you packed a snack. All right, here we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven, right? He lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That is the first of the three sections of Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is the section in which he prays for himself and he sets for us an example, a precedent and pattern in prayer to pray for ourselves. So we'll examine it in succession. We are in the gospel of John. 
If you're new, last year, we started in January. We rolled all the way through John chapter 16. This year, we're starting in John 17. We'll roll all the way through to Easter, looking at the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We'll look at every verse. We'll look at every word. I would encourage you to be reading ahead, to be reading the gospel of John and praying to the Lord Jesus this year. We'll start here. Here is the first principle in John. We learn about prayer through the prayer life of Jesus. And let me just tell you a little bit about prayer. This is from my Bible teaching. I'm a Bible teacher. I've been teaching the Bible primarily book by book, verse by verse for more than two decades, dozens of books of the Bible. So let me just pull a whole bunch of things together. Again, some of you know nothing about prayer. Some of you know very much about prayer. Let me just introduce prayer for us all. Um, Number one, prayer can be old or new. Old prayers might be that you're reading the Bible and you're like, hey, there's a prayer, let me stop and pray that. Or you're reading the Bible and you're like, I need to talk to the Lord about that. That's a great way to pray. In addition, there are whole prayers written throughout the Bible that maybe you wanna commit to memory or follow as a precedent or pattern, starting with John 17. A prayer can include the prayers that were prayed by those who came before us and love and serve the Lord. And sometimes it's good to echo their prayers. And sometimes there's a prayer that you used to pray and then you pull it back up and pray it again. It's like your greatest hits, amen? It's okay to pray the same thing a few times. There's nothing wrong with that. And then there's new prayers, God. I need new revelation. I need new correction. I need new forgiveness. I need new insight. There are new things that I'm dealing with. There are new obstacles that I'm battling against. And so prayer can be old or new. If all you ever do, let me speak to the old saints. If all you ever do is quote the same verses, read the same books and pray the same prayers, there's a problem. God wants old and new. Right, when God says I'm doing a new thing, when God says to sing new songs, if all you're doing is reading the same thing, praying the same thing and saying the same thing, you are not maturing. It's old and new and prayer can be old or new, amen? Number two, you can pray aloud or silent. If you pray aloud, the benefit is that other people can hear that. They know that you love them. They learn how to pray, they're, 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 they're encouraged. Praying silently sometimes is the only option that you have. Let's say you're a student, you go to take a test, teacher says silence, you're like, I need to pray. You could pray silently. You're at work, you're in the middle of a meeting, you've got a major decision to make. You could pray silently. When we pray silently, it's like a strategic line of communication. In war, in battle, the key is always to have a secure line of communication that cannot be corrupted by the enemy. In this world, there is not only God, there is Satan. There are not only angels, there are fallen angels that are demonic beings. There are powers, principalities, and spirits at work in this world that hate God and hate the children of God and oppose everything that God is seeking to do for the good of his children. Satan can hear your words, he can observe your actions, but he cannot read your mind. Only God knows your thoughts. Prayer silently is on occasion a secret communication channel. It's a private exclusive communication channel. If there are things or people that you believe are part of spiritual battle and warfare and demonic opposition, you can pray silently because God knows your heart, God knows your thoughts. Satan does not have access to those communication channels. So you could pray either way. Prayer can be written or verbal. Jesus here in John 17, he prays verbally and then John writes it down. So this prayer initially, originally was verbal and then it becomes written. Verbal prayer is where we pray for people, pray out loud. Written prayer can include something called journaling. How many of you like to journal? It's where you verbal process and pray and think aloud and record and I journal often. I like to think through plans and prayers and work things out and How many of you keep a prayer journal where you make a request and then when God answers it, you check it, you write it down. That can be a good thing to do. When we started praying for the Trinity Church, we moved here three years ago. We didn't really know anybody. We didn't really have anything and we didn't know what was gonna happen. So we got together at the dinner table with Grace and the Fab Five, pulled out a piece of paper. All right, what are the prayer requests? Things like, God, give us a building, amen. 
All right, check. All right, God, give us nice people, not just people. You gotta pray specifically. Give us nice people, check. God answered that prayer. Bring those nice people to the building. Check, check, check. Let those people know each other. Let them love each other. Bring along some people who can play instruments so that we can sing because dad can't do that, amen? And so we started praying specifically. We started praying for you. If you are here, you need to know that you were prayed in. And you need to know that your obligation and opportunity is to pray others in to the kingdom of God and into the family of God. And we started making a list. Okay, building, money, people, band, sound, light, video, all this practical stuff. God answered those prayers. So we just check them off, 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 check them off. All kinds of weird prayers too, specific prayers. Is God into the details? Absolutely. Uh, I don't, I'm just gonna just go for it. I don't really have notes. It's just gonna be like this. But like, I was just thinking about the communion table. There was one day at the dinner table, I was thinking about it. One of the kids was like, I wanna pray for a communion table. Okay, we go on to Craigslist. They had a communion table on Craigslist. We got it for like 20 bucks. Amen, thank you, Lord Jesus, right? <laughs> Do you know that Jesus rules Craigslist? That's how big he is. You know, Jesus can get you some stuff off of Craigslist if that's what he needs to do. Don't feel bad praying specifically. Don't feel bad praying practically. And sometimes it's good to write it down because when God answers it and you check it, you start to build this legacy where you say, you know what? God hears prayer, God answers prayer. The fact that he was faithful in my past gives me hope for my future, amen? Amen. All right, well, I'm excited. At least there's one of us. All right, here's the next one, point number four. It can be in words or song. You can pray in prose. You can pray in poetry. How many of you are more arty, creative? Right, right now, you're watercoloring my sermon. Awesome, good to have you. Right, you're, you're the creative arty types. Is it okay to sit down and write a song to God? Yeah. Is it okay to sit down and write poetry to God? Yes. In fact, there are, there are whole sections of the Bible. In fact, there's whole books of the Bible like Psalms. They are simultaneously worship songs and prayers because worship singing is a form of praying. It's a form of praying. In my experience, those who sing well tend to pray well. Those who don't sing well tend not to pray well because it's poetry and prose. It's the heart overflowing with gladness and joyfulness and invitation toward the Lord. And when we sing together, we are praying together. We're praying together. It could be in song. And, and let me say this too, you can, you can sing to God. You could sing to God in church, but not just church. A, a brand new Christian recently, I, I met with him and his wife, they're adorable. And uh, I said, how's it going? She gets teared up. She's like, I didn't know we could pray outside of church. I said, you can. She said, I know, it's awesome. I know, it, it is awesome. It's nice if you need help and God is available. And she said, and I didn't, we didn't know that you could sing outside of church. You can. I said, what's that look like? She starts crying. She says, recently in the car, my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, can we sing in the car? They decided we're gonna try. And they started singing to the Lord in the car. Is that okay? It's awesome. Keep driving right? Don't close your hands and lift your, you know, close your eyes, lift your, Lord, I worship you. No, still drive, right? She starts crying. She said, it is so nice to pray with my husband and worship with my husband. This couple's been married a very long time and they didn't know that you could do these things. The shortest distance between two people is prayer. The greatest way to have a healthy relationship with someone is to invite God to be in the midst of the relationship. It can be in words or songs. It can be speaking or listening. Every relationship, it rises or falls with the quality of the communication, right? Communication is speaking and listening. You can't have a healthy relationship unless both people speak and both people listen. We speak to God in prayer. We listen to God in prayer. This can include opening the word of God. Hey God, you talk to me, then I'm gonna talk to you. And you talk to me and I'm gonna talk to you. You say something to me and I wanna process that with you. And let me say, there are sacred times that you need to schedule a meeting with God. The Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to be alone with the Father. 
There are men like the Apostle Paul who would be alone with God for a season. When you get together with God, I want you to prepare for that divine meeting. I want you to list out, okay, these are the prayer requests I have. These are the needs that I have. These are the people that I'm concerned for. These are the temptations that I'm facing. These are the lessons that I'm learning. These are the struggles that I am battling. And I wanna go talk to the Lord about these things. I wanna hand that burden to the Lord. I wanna hear a word from the Lord. When I carve these times out and I prepare myself and my journal and my soul, I turn off my phone, I go meet with the Lord. I have good news for you. God has never failed to meet with me. God has never failed to speak to me. God has never failed to be present with me. At the beginning of this year, I would just beg you, I would implore you, before you listen to anyone, listen to him. Before you make your plan, ask him what is his plan. And part of that is listening. It can be short or long. Some prayers are really short, some are really long. Conversing with God is like communicating with a parent. How many of you are moms or dads or grandmas or grandpas, right? All a kid needs to say is what? Help, and what do you do? You come running. You don't say, well, there wasn't a lot of information. I wasn't sure what the request was. It wasn't very clear. It also interrupted my day. And I felt it was a little emotional. What you do is you hear and respond. God has a father's heart. We're gonna hit that in a moment. Some prayers are short, like help. God hears and answers that prayer. Other prayers are long. There are two kinds of long prayers, bad ones and good ones. Jesus talks about the bad ones that religious people pray. Religious people pray like they're getting paid by the word, right? Religious people, they feel like the longer you go, the holier you are. And we all know that's not true. How many of you had that long-winded Larry, that uncle that prayed at Thanksgiving every year? Whole family get together, anybody wanna pray? Larry'd be like, I got it, I'll pray. And you're like, oh no. Larry's beseeching things. He's got a hedge of protection. He's binding and loosening. There's a lot of four art thou's and, and all the kids are like, let's cut the turkey, right? And Larry, if you don't be quiet, we're gonna cut you. Let's get to dinner before breakfast, Larry. You're going too long. God's in heaven going, he's still going, right? The point is that's religious lengthy praying, right? But there are times that there is good long prayer, meaning I gotta talk to God about this. This is a problem. This is a big decision. This is a frustration. This is a temptation. I'm confused, God, I'm in a bad place. I need to verbally process. I need to get some time with you to really talk this through. How many of you are pretty verbal? Let you on a little secret, so is your pastor, okay? Some of us that are a little verbal, we need a little time to talk it through. Some prayers can be short or long. They can be public or private. We're gonna have people pray for those that have needs at the end of this and every service, that can be public. We'll have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night to kick off the new year, that'll be public. You can also pray privately. You can pray in your car and you should, you should. The way people drive here, you should definitely pray in your car, right? It's like everybody watched uh, Mad Max and thought that was driver's ed, it's crazy here. You can pray in your car, you can pray alone, you can pray with others and you can pray alone or you can pray in a group. By praying in a group, that's how we love each other. We stand with each other. We encourage one another. And when we pray alone, it's how we build our private personal relationship with God. Let me tell you this. There is a problem if all you do is pray publicly and you don't pray privately. Because what what you might be doing is wanting everybody to see that you're spiritual without actually developing personal intimacy with God. It's both and. Okay, this is a lot of what the Bible has to say about prayer. Now we're gonna look at Jesus' prayer. Somebody like, was that the sermon? That was the introduction. Now, John chapter 17, verse one. This is awesome. When Jesus live, pray to live kingdom down. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to where? To heaven. Lifted up his eyes to heaven because that's where he came from. Jesus is God, come down to the earth. Let me tell you this. There's only two ways to live your life, culture up or kingdom down. This world is not our home. This world is broken and flawed. Something has gone tragically, terribly wrong with this world. Sin has infected and affected this world. This world is broken and it needs healing. This world is cursed and it needs forgiveness. This world is passing away and needs to be replaced. When we look up, what we are doing is reminding ourselves of who our ruler is and where our citizenship is. You need to know, my friend, that this world isn't working. 
And it won't work unless the kingdom comes down. Jesus taught us to pray elsewhere, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me make this as clean, as plain, as simple as I can. I'm working with Grace on a book on spiritual warfare. It'll be out Lord willing in the fall. We'll give you a free copy and we'll do a a sermon series on it. But here's the revelation that has absolutely captivated me. That in addition to God, there is Satan. In addition to angels, there are demons. Just as in this world, there are people that are unsafe. So in the spirit realm, there are people, beings, demons that are unsafe. When we worship, when we pray, we are inviting into our life that supernatural, divine, unseen spiritual realm. This is why you need to know who you are praying to and what you are inviting in. And what happens is you and I live on this earth and we continually make decisions. And the decisions are this clean and clear. Will we invite heaven down into our life or will we pull hell up into our life? It is truly that simple. There was a battle in heaven where a third of the heavenly hosts, the angelic beings, they declared war on God. And as a result, there was a war in heaven where God and the angels defeated Satan and the demons and they were cast out and they came down to the earth. The storyline of the Bible is that they then tempted our first parents to join their rebellion. Our first parents on behalf of us had to decide, will we align with God and the angels or with Satan and the demons? What did they decide? Tragically, our first parents voting for all of humanity chose to align with Satan and the demons. So the promise was made. Jesus is coming down. Then ultimately, God, the King, comes down. He comes down for battle. He comes down for war. He comes down to defeat Satan and to disarm the demonic. And Jesus is coming again, my friends. There will be a day that Jesus returns. This world will come to an end. The work of the enemy will come to an end. Sickness, death, lies, temptation will come to an end. And in that day, the Lord Jesus will take that demonic realm that he has defeated and he will destroy it, sentencing it forever to hell. And so when you and I are on the earth, we're in the middle of a great battle. When you choose unforgiveness, bitterness, temptation, lies, false spirituality, you are pulling hell up into your life. Some of you, this explains why 2018 was so tormenting because you were tormented, so haunting because you were haunted, so dark because you brought darkness into your life. What Jesus does, he doesn't look to the side. Some of you get distracted. Some of you look to the past with regret. Some of you look to the future with fear. I would say this day, claim this day, claim this day and claim this year, you start by looking up. That is where my hope comes from. That is who my king is. That is where my salvation comes from. The kingdom of God is a place of light, not darkness, love, not hatred, forgiveness, not bitterness, freedom, not slavery. I look up and I invite that king and that kingdom to come down into my life, to come down into my reality, to come down into my family. I want you, I beg you, I encourage you, I invite you. Don't get too concerned looking back with regret. Don't get distracted looking off to the side. Don't get fearful looking to the future. Before you look anywhere, look up. His name is Jesus. He comes with all authority. And when you look up, you're inviting the kingdom of God into your life. And just like light casts out darkness, so it's the presence of the kingdom of God that pushes out all demonic forces. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus is in the process of doing. You need to know that at this moment, this is the last week of Jesus. He is preparing himself to go to the cross and to suffer and die in our place for our sins. As we get into the remainder of John's gospel, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, he pulls hell up into his life. He involves and invites Satan and the demonic into his life. Here, Jesus is inviting the kingdom and the spirit into his life. I want you to be like Jesus. I don't want you to be like Judas. I want you to welcome heaven down. I don't want you to pull hell up. You do that by starting in prayer and looking up. Next point. 
Pray to deepen your relationship with God. One word. The word of God is so powerful that one word can change everything. This world is filled with words, but it is the word of God that comes with the power of God. And how does Jesus start his prayer? Father. When asked elsewhere to teach us to pray, Jesus said, pray like this, Father. You know what? Prayer starts with getting to know God as Father. That's a conversational term. That's a relational term. That's a warm term. Up until the time of Jesus, most scholars would tell you that there was no major religion that the founder taught to pray to God as Father. God is impersonal, God is cruel, God is mean. Jesus tells us that God is our Father. This is his favorite title for God. If memory serves me correct, he uses it 165 times. Jesus says that God is our Father. Some of you will have a hard time with this because our view of God is oftentimes a projection or a rejection of our earthly father. I have good news for you. If you had no father, you do have a father now. If you had a bad father, I have good news. You have a good father now. If you had a father who abused you, I have a good word for you. That father will never harm you. If you have a father that abandoned you, I have great encouragement and hope for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you had a good dad, congratulations. You're doubly blessed. You had a loving father on earth and you have a loving father in heaven. And this is a word for all people, but firstly for the men. Statistically, women are more spiritual than men. That's the truth. They give more, they attend church more, they read their Bible more, they pray more. And if you just look at a man and a woman, you could tell, okay? That's just how it works. But what God does here is he opens up an understanding of prayer for men. How many of you men are fathers or grandfathers? How do you feel about your children? You love them, you care for them, you're concerned for them. You work and labor for their well-being. You provide for their needs. You protect them from harm. That is the father heart of God. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. If you're a Christian, God sees you as a child. God sees you as his kid. God loves you with a father's affection. God's devotion is for you. God's ear is inclined toward you. God's heart is open always, continually, perfectly for you. I need you to know you're not an orphan. You're a child of God. You're not on your own. You have a dad who loves and cares for you. When our kids were little and growing up, they didn't have a lot of concerns or fears because as parents, we took care of them. God is a father who takes care of his children. And let me tell you this as well. The best way to learn about prayer is not to look at other religions and how religious people pray because they don't know God as Father and they don't have Jesus as big brother. The best way to learn about prayer is to look at children who have a relationship with a parent who loves them, a healthy, loving, flourishing relationship. We never taught our kids how to come to us. They just did because we love them. We never taught our kids how to ask us for things. How many of you are shocked? You never really trained your kids to make requests. They just sort of figured it out. Have you noticed that? You know why? If you love them, they come to you. If you love them, they talk to you. If you love them, they inquire of you. God is a father. You are the children of God. If you wanna learn about prayer, find kids or grandkids that have a healthy relationship with a parent or grandparent, and they will show you what prayer looks like through conversation because prayer ultimately is just talking to your dad. And let me just say this. Some of you would say, I really struggle with prayer. Mm, Don't focus on prayer. Focus on getting to know God as father. Once you know who your dad is, you talk to him. Once you know your dad loves you, you run to him. Once you know the power that your dad has, you make requests of him. It starts by looking up to heaven and getting to know God as Father. Last thing I'll say on this point, this is about conversation and communication. Relationship is built and strengthened through communication. Text, email, phone call, face-to-face meetings, handwritten letters. We live in a world that has all of these ways of communicating. Prayer is the primary way that we communicate with God. And God as a father does the same thing that parents do. He hears and answers in one of three ways. Yes, no, later. Some of you say, I prayed and it didn't work. Why did it not work? because God didn't answer. He did. He said, no. 
or he said later. Any of you parents know how this works? If you love your child, write this down. Sometimes say no. Sometimes say later. When our kids were little, they'd ask something. Can I have something to eat, something to drink? Can I go out and play? Yes. Other times, no. No, you, the answer is no. The answer is no. Sometimes the answer is later when you get older. I'll give you a story. There was one day I'm working in my study and I hear a clink, a clink, a clink, a clink. I look out. One of my little kids has got one of those little plastic battery powered Jeeps and he's going up the road. He's gone. He's like this big. I chase after him. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to Krispy Kreme. I was like, bro, bro, you cannot take the plastic Jeep to Krispy Kreme. Right? The answer is later. Terrible parents. All those terrible parents said no. Someday you can drive yourself to Krispy Kreme. That day's not today. You got to cross a major highway in an electric Jeep. You're not going to make it, bro. That kid today, I bought him a Jeep. He's bigger now, just so you know. And sometimes he can go to get some donuts. Yeah, that's right. So oftentimes God's answer is no. And we're like, but God, it's a good thing. And God's just like, you're not ready. You're not ready. Yes, no, later. All right, next one. Uh, pray to prepare yourself for big changes. Jesus says, the hour has come. Every day is important. Some days are really important. Really important. You've got big decision to make, big obstacle to overcome, big lesson to learn. Some days are crucial. Some days you really hit that proverbial fork in the road and you're like, I'm going there or I'm going there. And there's some significant consequences. I'm gonna get married or not get married. I'm gonna get divorced, not get divorced. I'm gonna take the job, not take the job. We're gonna relocate, not relocate. We're gonna start the company, not start the company. Wow, this is a big day. This is a big deal. Some of you last year, you had big decisions, big obstacles, big opportunities. Some of you, they're present. Some of you, they're on the horizon. What do you do when those big days come, those big decisions come? Jesus here, as I told you, he is in the last week of his earthly life. He is on the precipice of his crucifixion. He is preparing himself to die. This is the biggest event in the history of the world, the death, burial, resurrection, salvation of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gonna have Satan against him, demons against him, mob against him. Mom's gonna be crying at the foot of his cross. Reputation's going to be destroyed. Flesh will be ripped off of his body. This is a big deal. He's preparing for the big day. And he stops and he prays. Let me just tell you, the bigger it is, the more you need to pray. The bigger it is, the more you need to pray. And I'm not just saying make your plan and then ask God to bless it. I'm saying meet with God and ask him what his plan is, okay? And let me just tell you this. Sometimes God will get you around it and sometimes God's gonna get you through it. Jesus is on the precipice of another prayer we're gonna study in a few months. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating like drops of blood. He's, that week has come to an end. He's right at the end of his life. And he prays, Father, and I'm paraphrasing, get me around it. And the Father says, no. And then Jesus basically prays, get me through it. Jesus goes through the betrayal of Judas. Jesus goes through the arrest. Jesus goes through the false trial. Jesus goes through the flogging. Jesus goes through the crucifixion. Jesus goes through the cross. Jesus goes into the tomb and he goes through death. Sometimes God will get you around it. Sometimes he's gonna get you through it. Stopping to pray is asking him, Father, are we going around it or are we going through it? And Father, if we're going through it, how do I do it? How do I do it? And I don't know what that means for you this year, but I know that it's coming. In addition, we learn from Jesus' example um, to pray to God, uh, next slide please, pray to God, pray to glorify God by exercising your authority. 
Here's what Jesus says, John 17, one and two, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This is Jesus telling us that he and the father are co-equal, co-eternal, co-objects of worship. One God, three persons, father, son, and spirit. God is a relational God. God is a personal God. God is a conversational God. That's why God made us for relationship and conversation called prayer. But if God is glorified and Jesus is glorified, that's Jesus' way of telling us that he is God since you have given him authority over all flesh or all humanity. How can you this year, here we are, first Sunday of the year. How can you glorify God this year? Let me tell you, you glorify God the same way Jesus did by exercising your authority. Jesus here has told us who he is. His identity is his worshiper. He says that the son may glorify you. His identity is as son of God. He tells us here that he is the son of God. In these five verses, he says that he comes to give eternal life. So he is our savior. He talks about himself and the father being quote, the only true God. So he is God. He talks about existing before the world existed. So he is eternal and creator. And here he is telling us that he is sovereign and has authority over all. You need to know that there is no place that Jesus does not rule over. There is no person that Jesus is not Lord over. You need to know that there is no name equal to the name of Jesus. There is no authority equal to the authority of Jesus. There is no king, there is no kingdom, there is no prince, there is no principality that is equal or superior to Jesus. The name of Jesus is the strongest name. The name of Jesus is the truest name. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name that ever was, can be, or will be declared. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, both on the earth and under the earth. You need to know that no one is like Jesus. No one compares to Jesus. No one comes with the power and authority of Jesus. When Satan comes to him, Jesus has more authority. When temptation comes to Jesus, he exercises his authority. When he is crucified and dead, he has authority even over the grave and death. If you believe in Jesus, you have entrusted yourself to the highest authority in all of creation. He is creator above all that is created. There is no one like Jesus. There is nothing like Jesus. No one compares to Jesus and nothing compares to Jesus. And Jesus comes exercising his authority. The blind see the lame run, the mute hear and speak. The dead rise, demons are cast out. Destinies are altered, sin is forgiven and Jesus exercises his authority over all. And you share his authority. This is crucial for you. The Bible speaks of us being Christians only three times, more than 200 times, particularly with a man named Paul, the Bible refers to the children of God as being in Christ or in the beloved. This is your identity. Our culture talks a lot about your identity in terms of self-esteem, self-actualization, self-love or self-awareness. The problem is it puts self as the center and who you are is in relation to yourself, not who you are is in relation to him. Your identity is something that God gives you by virtue of believing in his son, Jesus Christ. When the Bible says that you are in Christ, it also says that Christ is in you. Positionally and practically, here's what it means. Practically, through the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the spirit of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, then the presence of Christ is in you practically and positionally you are seated with Christ ruling and reigning in all authority. I'll prove it to you in a moment. Right now you are seated on the earth and right now the Lord Jesus is seated in heaven. Right now Jesus is ruling over all nations. Jesus is right now commanding an angelic army to go to war to defend the children of God. And furthermore, here is what the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him. Hear me in this. 
Though you're seated in Scottsdale, here is how God sees it and here's how you will experience it. By faith, we believe it today. By sight, you will see it on the last day. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you die and you rise, you will be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The Bible says that you will even judge the angels, the fallen demonic principalities and spirits that are at work in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When you come, you come with the authority of the resurrected, ruling, reigning, triumphant, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who after his resurrection, before he returned into heaven, he said, all authority, has been given unto me. Jesus has all authority. And when you come, friend, you need to know this. You come with the authority of Jesus Christ. So when temptation comes to you, exercise your authority. I say no to sin, I say yes to God. I stop and pray, I invite heaven down. I'm not pulling hell up. When the accuser comes this year to tempt you, you are unloved, you are unforgiven, you will die, you are hopeless, you will never change. Your future is guaranteed to look like the worst days of your past. Exercise your God-given authority. No, I am a child of God. No, I am loved by a heavenly father. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. There is a seat in the father's house for me. I belong to him and I come with his authority. And friend, this year when the enemy comes to condemn you and he tells you about your past and your faults and your flaws and your failures, all the ways that you have failed to do good and all the ways that you've done wrong, exercise your authority. No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I am in Christ. There is no condemnation for me. There is no power that is against me that is stronger than the power of God that is in me and for me, amen? This is a year of dominion. This is a year of authority. This is a year of breakthrough. I don't believe that because I'm just hopeful. I believe that because the word of God says that the children of God come with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that being said, exercise this authority humbly because one of the devil's tricks is pride. So we don't say, I rebuke you. We echo the scriptures, the Lord rebuke you. We don't say, I exercise my authority. We say, I come with delegated authority. When a soldier shows up, they march confidently because with them comes the entire force that is supporting them of the military. When a cop shows up, they exercise authority because the entire police department supports them. When a child of God shows up, they come with the authority of Jesus. Exercise it humbly, but exercise it. Stop. Remind yourself who God is. Stop. Remind yourself who you are. Stop. Remind yourself that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. And remind yourself that you come with the authority of Jesus Christ. Exercise it humbly, exercise it gladly, and then you will glorify not yourself, God. You won't be saying, I rebuke you, I renounce you, I defeat you, I command you. Say, actually, Jesus defeated you. Um, Jesus has authority over you. Um, I just happen to be with him. Yay, Jesus. Your humility gives an opportunity for God to get the most glory if you will exercise his authority. Okay, I need you to grab that. I need you to hold on to that this year. There are times of trouble coming. Stop, pray, bring the kingdom down, invite the kingdom down. Don't get proud and pull hell up. Get humble and see heaven come down. Next slide, please. Pray to live in light of eternity. Jesus is on the precipice of death, resurrection, and returning to his eternal throne. 
to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. What's eternal life? It's a relationship. It's a real, let me tell you this. Heaven isn't, I gotta be careful with this. It is a place, but it's not primarily a place. It's a person. You know what? We lived in another town and we moved here. And home is wherever Grace and the kids are. Do you know that? The address doesn't really matter to me. The relationships do. Our family can move from this house to this house and it's still home because of the people that we're doing life with, not the place that we're doing it. Eternal life is a relationship with God. Here's how Jesus says it. This is eternal life that they know you. That's relationship. The only true God, there's no other God. You need to know that. There are false demons who pretend to be gods. There are religions that are held up by demonic principalities, powers to deceive the elect, if that were possible, the scripture says. There are counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles for everything that God makes, Satan counterfeits, but there's only one true God. There's lots, there's lots of false gods, but there's only one true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, eternal life is knowing God as Father through your big brother, Jesus Christ. It's relational, it's loving, it's personal. You need to know that eternal life does not begin the day you die. It begins the day you meet Jesus. One of the great myths that's been told is, you know, if you receive Jesus, then you get to die and experience eternal life. You get to experience eternal life starting the day you meet Jesus, not the day that you die. It's not that you just die and go to heaven, it's that actually heaven comes down to be with you. And ultimately that means for us, it's not just something for old people to think about at the end, it's something for old people to think about along the way. And it's certainly something for young people to think about at the beginning. Eternal life, do you have a relationship with God? Have you received God's love? Have you rejected the sin in your life? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you have this warm, intimate, loving relationship with him? If not, it starts right now. The most important thing you have is your relationship with God. You will not take your car to heaven. You will not take your house to heaven. You will not take your resume to heaven. You will not take your grade point average to heaven. You will take your relationship with God and your relationships with God's people. That means our first priority is our relationship with God and our next priority is relationship with people. God loves people, God saves people, God became a person. God died and rose to forgive people. God is in the process of making a family. He's a dad, he wants you to be one of his kids. Gosh, would you love Jesus? Would you serve Jesus? Would you rejoice in Jesus? Would you belong to Jesus? Man, that's why we're here. This is a sacred moment for you. This is the first Sunday of the year. This could be the first step in your eternal walk with God. Oh man, I'm excited. I hate to wake you up. Okay, next one. Anybody else here been forgiven? Anybody else been set free? Anybody else been encouraged? For those who don't know God, the saints need to testify that God is good. You know what, if you're a kid and, and you have a parent who loves you and, and the parents are looking at adopting some other kid, the first thing the kids need to go do is tell that kid, this is a great family, you, you got a great dad. You are the children of God. You need to brag on dad. You need to let people know what the family's like because those other kids, they don't know dad yet and they've not met the family. So as we testify, he's a great dad. He helps, he loves, he forgives, he serves. He's relational, he's conversational, he's amazing. Jesus is our big brother. Welcome to the family of God, amen? All right, next one. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me. Pray to clarify God's will. This is a crazy statement from Jesus. He's saying two things. I knew what to do and I did it. How many of you, if you look back on last year, you can't say that, right? Either... I don't know what, I don't know what I was doing or I knew what to do, but I didn't do it, right? To walk in God's will is really know what to do, do it. Know what to do, do it. That's how you walk with God. Know what to do and do it. Jesus says, I knew what to do and I did it. Let me tell you how this works. You gotta stop and meet with God, talk to God, listen to God, hear from God. 
And then do what God tells you to do, starting with the scriptures and the word of God. And this means that you're going to need to say no to some things so you can say yes to other things. Jesus healed people. He didn't heal everybody. Jesus did miracles, but not every day. There were days that Jesus took off, literally took a Sabbath day. There were times that Jesus took a nap. Do you know that sometimes God wants you to take a day off? Do you know that sometimes God wants you to take a nap? Right? I've got a hammock in my backyard dedicated to the Lord Jesus. And when, I, and when the Lord Jesus says, lay in the hammock, yes, Lord, I don't wanna be disobedient. You need to know that you are glorifying God as much in your work as you are in your rest. Because when you're working, you're doing the things that God has asked you to do. And when you're resting, you're trusting that God is at work even when you're not, it's an act of faith. You need to ask God this year, what do I need to say no to so I can say yes to? You have limited time, limited money, limited energy. You're a finite being, my friend. You wanna invest your life, not waste your life. And sometimes it is good things that get in the way of God's things. There may be things last year that you had on your plate of responsibility that this year you need to take off your plate of responsibility. There may be things that God is asking you to do and to do them, you need to say no to other things. And those aren't bad things, they're just not your things. I'm speaking principally, I need you to figure this out practically. I don't know what this means for you. But this is the time of year we should look at our budget and say no to this, yes to that. Look at our schedule, no to this, yes to that. Look at the opportunities, say no to this, yes to that. One of my pastors told us, he said, Mark, don't do anything out of need or opportunity. Only do what is the will of God. I wrote that down. I was like, this is where I've got myself in trouble. There was a need, so I met it, but God wasn't calling me to meet that need. What that means is now I'm hurting myself and I'm taking somebody else's opportunity because that was their assignment, not mine. Need or opportunity, well, th this could work. And I get overextended. Don't pursue need, don't pursue opportunity. Pursue the will of God. Somebody say, how do I find the will of God? The word of God in prayer. In addition to wise counsel from people who will pray with you and know the word of God. Let me say this, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made were pursuing my potential instead of my calling. We live in a world that tells you, pursue your potential. And God says, no, pursue your calling. Jesus was called to be single, not married, poor, not rich, homeless, not well housed. He was called to die, not to live, okay? He, he was called to be hated before he was loved. Right? He, he, he was called to suffer before he was comforted. Jesus pursued his calling. And let me just tell you this. When you know what God's will is for your life, it gives you a courage that is supernatural. It just does. I can't explain it to you. You just wake up and you're like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. So this is why I'm doing it. I want that for you. God wants that for you. In prayer, you can get clarity on what God's calling and will is for your life this year and things change from season to season. Last slide. Pray to experience God's presence. And now, Father, it's like, and now! He's praying for himself. Pray for yourself. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world. The Father and the Son, they live in constant union and communion. The Lord Jesus gives us an insight into the character and nature of the relationship of the Trinitarian God of the Bible. How is Jesus going to glorify the Father? He's going to glorify the Father by living in the presence of the Father. I, I, here's what's just amazing. Jesus is in heaven, he's in the presence of the Father. He comes down to the earth, He's still in the presence of God. He goes down to the grave under the earth. He's still in the presence of God. Even upon his death, Jesus was calm. Jesus was collected. Jesus was confident because he knew that the father would not leave him or forsake him. 
On the cross, after he substituted himself for our sins, he then cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He knew that that relationship was secure. He knew that the Father was present with him. Let me tell you this, friends. The Father was present through the grave. The presence of God was with Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus is now seated in heaven. He's in the presence of the Father. He is honoring the Father. He is glorifying the Father. The Father is glorifying and honoring him. The Holy Spirit is present in the midst. There are departed saints and angels. You need to know that in addition to the realm that you see, there is a realm that you do not see, but you will see. You see it today by faith. You will see it one day by sight that you are going to the place where Jesus is presently. He has come to this place to take you to that place. When you get there, you will gaze upon the glory of God. You will be present in the presence of God. In the meantime, I need you to know that you're not abandoned. You're not forsaken. We saw it earlier in John's gospel. He says, you're not an orphan. You know, my kids, they have confidence because they have parents. They don't need to know everything, but they need to know that they don't go alone, that we are with them, that we are for them. You are the children of God. The Father loves you. The Father is for you. The Father is always there with you and for you. You need to know that. This year might be scary. There may be obstacles and opportunities. It may be a year of tremendous adventure. But let me just tell you this. When you pray, what you're literally doing is the same thing that a small child does. You're taking your hand and you're lifting it up. You're saying, dad, just, just walk me. Just, just, just walk me where I need to go. Show me what I need to do. Dad, I don't see what you see. I don't know what you know. I can't do what you do, but by faith, I trust you. Prayer is how the children of God take the hand of the father. They walk with him in his presence. I travel some for work. I hate it because I'm not present with Grace and the kids. If I could take Grace or one of the kids on the trip, I like it, because I'm not alone, amen? I don't, I, unless it's solitude with Jesus, I don't like being alone. I read this book, said it wasn't good to be alone. I agree, right? I agree. If I could take Grace with me, yay, Grace's presence changes everything. If I could take one of the kids with me, it changes everything. Here's good news, you're never alone. God the Father, he promises that the presence of God is with you. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit in you is the presence of God always with you. The presence of God is in you so that you can always be in the presence of God. Just as light casts out darkness, so it's the presence of God that casts out demonic, casts out temptation, casts out condemnation, casts out accusation. It is the presence of God, not the absence of trouble that makes life worth living. And let me just say this. We need to start our year in the presence of God. We need to saturate our year in the presence of God that God is alive. And so let me tell you what we're going to do now. I'm gonna give you an invitation. If you need to pray and you need to pray, pray for yourself. Next week, we'll talk about praying for Christians. The next week, we'll talk about praying for non-Christians. This week, feel free. Tell God where you're at. Tell God what you need. Tell God when you'll meet with him this week to schedule a time to get his will for your year. And then what we're gonna do, we're gonna sing. I'm gonna invite the band up right now. And here's what I need you to know. This same Jesus who prayed is praying right now. The Bible says that we have a faithful high priest who intercedes for us. Right now, Jesus is alive. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning. Right now, Jesus has all authority. And right now, Jesus is praying for you and he invites you to pray to him, amen? And as we pray, what I need you to see, I need you to go beyond the natural into the supernatural. I need you to get your heart and your imagination into the unseen realm. Right now, lift your eyes up. 
Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is seated on a throne. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Jesus Christ is forgiving sin. Jesus Christ is healing hurt. Jesus Christ is lifting burdens. Jesus Christ is setting captives free from addiction and from compulsion. Right now, Jesus Christ is sending down the Holy Spirit. Right now, Jesus Christ is sending down an opportunity for relationship, forgiveness of sin. Right now, Jesus Christ Christ is surrounded by angels who in prayerful form are singing to him and celebrating him and rejoicing him. They know who he is. They know what he does. They know that he is coming again. They know that he will forever defeat and destroy Satan and demons. They know that he is coming to raise the dead. They know that he is coming to bring eternal life. They know that he is coming to wipe every tear from our eyes. Surrounding the angels are people who trusted in Jesus by faith until right now they see him by sight. They see his crucifixion scars. They see the love in his eyes. They see the compassion of his heart and they are celebrating and they are rejoicing and they know that one day he will get off that throne and he's coming back to this earth and he is going to bring the kingdom of God with him and he is going to set captives free. He's gonna forgive sinners. He is gonna heal those who are hurting and he is gonna liberate those who are discouraged. And friends, here's what I tell you. When we pray, when we worship, we enter that realm. We pass from this reality into that reality and we welcome him. So Lord Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in this place, in the lives of these people, in this year, in the strong name of Jesus, we invite our King to be present. We invite his kingdom to be present and we rejoice by faith till we see you again, Lord Jesus, by sight. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.